Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. Hey, we're in this series, The Essentials. Today I'm gonna to talk to you about another one of those essentials. I wanna talk about relationships. Uh, I wanna need some audience participation. Hopefully you guys know what this is. How many of y'all can tell me what this is? Okay, it's an apple. It's an apple. And, uh, but if, if I cut this apple open, let me do that. Hopefully I won't get my fingers. It's hard to do it with a mic in my hand, so this just takes a lot of skill. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Just don't mess with me, okay? I watched a lot of YouTube channels to get that right. But if I open that up, and you probably can't see this, but you would assume that I was able to get something from the inside of it, what would you think that that is? It's a seed, right? So I got a seed, but it's not actually a seed. What I actually have is an apple, right? Okay? So would you agree it's an apple? Eventually it would be an apple. But it's actually not an apple. What I actually have is a tree. That's what I have. I have a tree. Because if I put this seed in a healthy place, eventually I'm going to have a tree that will have an apple, right? How many of you agree that eventually this would be a tree? But it's not actually a tree. It's actually an orchard. Because if I put this seed in a healthy place and let that tree grow and it produces apples, then eventually I'm going to have a lot of trees and that tree and those trees will make an orchard, right? As long as I put this in a healthy place and as long as where this started will die to itself. That apple has to start by dying to itself. But if the apple will die to itself, then eventually a, tr uh, a seed will bring about a tree that will bring about an apple, and those apples all together will make up an orchard if those seeds are planted in a healthy place. And this is exactly what God's will is for your life. A tree by itself is not an orchard. It has to be connected to other trees. That's how it becomes a healthy, productive orchard. Relationship is a noun, but it's the function of the word. Relate is the verb of that noun. That's the action part. Church services are designed for a large group dynamic. That's just the way it is. It is relational, it is relationships, but it is not the action. That is relate. And relate cannot happen in church services. If you are counting on your Sunday experience to be the fulfillment of your relationships, you will miss out on God's design altogether. Because God's design is, yes, I hope that we're relational, I believe that we are. One of the things that I hear from people over and over again that visit our church is how friendly we are. That's great. I don't mind being a friendly church. I like being a friendly church. 
But we have to be much, much more than just a relational church service on Sunday. We got to be a group of people that decide to be planted in healthy places that reproduce ourselves, that we relate to others so that we can grow and give glory to the kingdom of God. That's who we have to be. But it does take being very intentional. It's not something that's going to happen on accident. Relate happens when you're connected to other people. This is the early church. In the early church, they gathered together in the temple courts. Okay, this is that, our version of that. Okay, big groups of people. But they also were in each other's homes. They were around each, people, around each other. It's the 24 hours a day, seven days a week manifestation of relate that makes up the body of Christ and who the body of Christ should be. That's who we should be. A while back, I, I, I messed up my knee. Most of you guys know that tore my ACL, tore a couple of meniscus. And this is what I noticed is as soon as that happened, the rest of my body rushed to try to bring assistance to my knee. My other leg immediately took on a lot more weight than it had originally intended to be taking on. It just knew it needed to happen. Even my hands got involved. They couldn't really help that much, but they came to try to comfort for some reason, when you hurt something on your body, your hands need to touch it. And the reality is my hands were not going to fix what was wrong. I didn't know at the time it was going to take more than that. But at least my hands were there doing the best they could do to bring as much comfort as they could possibly bring. But my whole body got involved. My mouth got involved. Some words were said. John Wayne would have been okay with them. We'll just put it that way. But at least what came out was, ha! Ah! My eyes got involved. They were leaking this weird, really wet substance. I don't know what that was. But, but my whole body rushed to the aid of what was hurt and injured. And that is a picture of the body of Christ. That when there is a part hurting, because whether or not that particular part of the body is into it or not, we're all related. We're connected. We're a part of it. I will say the rest of my body is getting really tired of waiting on the knee to get strong. But you know what? It doesn't have a choice. It's going to keep doing what it has to do until that knee can get strong again so that the whole body can function the way it's intended to function. We used to say this all the time. Your closest friend may be sitting in this room right now. You just don't know him yet. Like your lifelong closest friend may be sitting in this room and you just don't know it yet. And I believe that that's true, but it may be because you have not yet done the action form of relationship. You haven't done your part to try to relate. That is a choice that no one can make you do. And it's also no one else's fault if you refuse to do it, if you don't try it. And Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. 
Another version says, where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. People go crazy where there's no vision. Well, if you don't have vision around the relationship or the relational element of your life, you will perish, you will get weak. What I've noticed is people that don't have vision around how they're gonna intentionally relate to and be built in and connected to the body of Christ, they get weird and crazy. They, they get way out there. So you have to be intentional because everyone is gonna wind up somewhere relationally. But not everybody winds up somewhere relationally on purpose. And I want you to know it's God's will for you to wind up connected to the body of Christ on purpose with purpose. That's his will. He wants you to have that. God is a God of relationships. In fact, the Trinity is the perfect picture of this. From the very beginning, it was this perfect picture of a God who wants relationships. The relationship, God the Father to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, that unbreakable bond, that covenant of relationship, and this is how he wants us to have it too. How many of y'all remember back when or, or your, maybe your very first best friend. How many of you guys remember your very first best friend? Okay. Now, here's the deal. When I was young, like, you had to have verbal confirmation of this. That's the way it used to work, right? So you'd hang out around somebody for a little bit, but eventually you would physically go over them and say, are you my best friend? Like, that's the way it worked, you know? And they may decline. And you're like, all right, that's fine. We're not best friends. I'm gonna go find my best friend. Like you just knew about this. Here's the, because we didn't have social media. There's a way, it's way too convoluted now. It's really hard to know who your friends are anymore. You couldn't, we, didn't have, we couldn't text somebody. You know, we didn't have that. We didn't even have cell phones. Nobody's gonna waste all the time and energy getting on that rotary phone to try to find out if somebody's gonna be their best friend, right? You just went and you talked to them. But how you really knew Okay, now some of y'all are gonna flip out, but this is just the way it went. How many of y'all know if you're really gonna be somebody's best friend, you put a little cut on your finger. And they put a little cut on their finger. You're blood brothers then, you know. Y'all really wanna know where COVID started? It's been around a long time, let me tell you that. But you had to be intentional. The Bible is chock full of powerful friendships between people. David and Jonathan, I think, is one of the greatest examples. David, or Jonathan, is the son of Saul, who is the king. So, Jonathan is supposed to be the next king. But he forms this powerful relationship with David, who was God's pick to be the next king. So, rightfully so, Jonathan is going to be the king, but he sees a God has picked David and they create this relationship and this friendship. I wanna talk about that today, but here's what I've noticed. Throughout the last couple of years, the pandemic, it is so clear to me that Satan has been after people relationally, trying to break that down. I would say specifically in the body of Christ. He's been working hard on that. I know that because I'm on the phone or meeting with people constantly mediating with relationships, because there's hurt, there's offense, 
honestly, a lot of times it's just people believing, believing lies and walking in it. But what I've noticed is there's just a lot of separation. And in some respects, that is because of offense. I want you to know that offense is a tool of the enemy. If you are offended or carrying around offense, you are playing right into the enemy's plan for your life. As believers, we lay down all of our rights to be offended. We know that because Jesus was unoffendable. We take on his character. And some people are, are, are in that, and then, and then some relationships are broken because of neglect. They've just been malnourished because there's been separation. Because people have made decisions to not be around people. So Satan has used isolation to create those issues. But I believe this, 2022 is the year of restoration in Jesus' name. It is God's will for people to be restored back to the body of Christ. And we're praying for that. And I hope you are too. But I know a lot of pastors that are. But I wanna talk about what does it look like to have these godly friends? Close friends make you a better you. Close friends make you a better you. There's a guy at one of our campuses, he said it this way. Friends will show up and help you move. How many of y'all know that's true? You wanna find out how many friends you have? Just say you're moving. You're gonna know. A friend will show up and help you move, but best friends will show up and help you move a body. He was joking, but I'm also not gonna go hang out at that guy's house because I don't wanna be the body and I don't wanna find the body, like either one. Like I don't want either of those. But, but I think the humor hopefully is obvious, but the depth of relationship how many people have other people's back like that? It's so rare these days. The name is 3-3. It says this. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Well, not easily, that's for sure. Anybody who's ever raised a toddler knows that. Like if you've ever tried to walk in a direction with a toddler that does not want to go, they just become a little weight. You just had to try to drag them to go. But I believe when two people can get to the place of maturity in the Lord, they can make the decision together and then there's nothing that will detour them, shake them, cause them to be fearful, confused. When two mature people in the Lord say, we're going that way, we're going that way, no matter what. That's something the enemy has a really difficult time breaking down. So a lot of people have friends based on surroundings instead of on purpose. Something like, well, our kids practice together every week and so we're there at the same time, so I guess we're friends now. Well, those are circumstantial friendships and they're fine. But there is a big difference between a circumstantial relationship and a supernatural, divinely appointed relationship. And that is what I believe God wants for every one of his children. To have the kind of relationship that's not just based on the season of life you're in or where you're hanging out that week, but no, I see the purpose of God in them. They see the purpose of God in me. And God has brought us together to call those things out until kingdom come. 
those kinds of relationships. A friend that will see your blind spot and love you too much to not point it out and say, hey, you, you're, you're blowing it. I love you. You don't see this, but I see it. Or even if they don't see it, you trust them enough that you're gonna confess it to them anyway. You're gonna take personal responsibility and say, I'm gonna tell that friend because I know if I stay on this path, it's gonna destroy my life. You gotta have those kinds of friends. But I have heard people say, but oh, really, all I need is God. All I need is God. I just need God. Okay. But here's a good question for you that may feel that way. How do we know if you're growing in God at all if it is not manifesting itself out through relationships? How do you know you're not just crazy believing all kinds of crazy stuff if you don't have a brother or sister in Christ that can hold you accountable to the full truth that knows you well enough to say, hey, I think you get, might be getting off track on this one. That is a deep rabbit hole, whatever it may be. So how does this unfold between David and Jonathan? 1 Samuel 18, 1 says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, remember Jonathan, Saul, King Saul's son, he's supposed to be the next king, said he came, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Now in our times, man, this kind of relationship, this kind of friendship is so foreign to people that people have a tendency to immediately pervert this and suggest that it was something that it was not. But in the Hebrew, if you walk through this verse, it means that they were supremely loyal and devoted to each other. It literally means a covenant relationship. It's a biblical, spiritual relationship. They loved each other but they showed tough love too. And don't get it twisted, these were tough dudes. These were warriors. Okay, so Jonathan was notorious for destroying the Philistines all over the place. One story that we'll emphasize a little more today, at one point he, he went and faced an entire regiment all by himself, him and one other guy, took these guys out. So they were tough, but he also showed tough love. David was obviously, the, we know the story, we saw it on the flannel board, he faced Goliath. Everybody else was fearful. And David says, he's too big to miss. And he killed him, took his own sword, cut his head off, sent the Philistines running home to mama. He was tough, but he also showed tough love. So these, these are these guys, but they, it was more. They had same convictions and passions. They were brave and valiant. They're also equally yoked. They're equally yoked, meaning they were heading in the same direction and they were both carrying the weight. One of the most important questions that you can ask your kids if you're raising kids when they come home from school, it's not what was for lunch, how's your English class, did you get that homework assignment in, were you respectful to your teacher? One of the most important questions you can ask your kids is, who did you hang out with at recess? Who are you hanging out with? Who are you being influenced by and who are you influencing? That's one of the most important things because the fulfillment of life will be in relationships and the direction of life 
will be through friendships. It'll happen because of who you're hanging out with and what you don't want. You don't want your kid's spirit meshing with some other kid's spirit that isn't aligned, that isn't pointed towards a kingdom purpose, that isn't pointed towards eternity, that isn't pointed towards them becoming the people that God has created them to be. Close friends fight for your purpose. Close friends fight for your purpose. A good friend's with you in bad times and good times. But the truth is, Jonathan didn't actually have this naturally. He wasn't born with this, but he had this type of friendship even before he knew David, a little earlier in life. So even before David took out Goliath, Jonathan took out a bunch of Philistines, like I mentioned, in 1 Samuel chapter 14. One morning he leaves camp, he leaves the army behind, he takes his armor bearer. To be an armor bearer back then, you had to be incredibly close. This was a strong relationship and friendship. We don't know the armor bearer's name, but we know that he had to have very close relationship with Jonathan. Jonathan had to trust him with his life. And he goes to his armor bearer and he finds out that there's some Philistines that had built an outpost, but it was up on this cliff, okay? There were really only two ways to get up on top of this cliff. You had to climb up these very steep rocks to this high altitude, or to get around, you had to go through these, this huge grove of thick briars with thorns. And so he went to his armor bearer, like, what do you want to do? How do you want to go? How many of y'all would pick the bushes? How many of y'all would pick the thorns and all that because you don't like heights? Okay, how many of you pick the heights every time? I know I would, especially... Look, one of the things that drives me crazy about living in the South, I can't just walk through the woods anywhere. You can't walk through the woods in the South, because you, well, not, not without a chainsaw or machete, because there's just going to be every kind of thorn and, and all that. So I'd much rather face the heights, but some of y'all, like, you think about heights, you start sweating. But the point is this, it wasn't going to be easy no matter what they did. It was going to be difficult and seemingly impossible. And I want you to see how his armor bearer responds when he asks him, which way do you want to go? All of us need friends like this. He says this in 1 Samuel 14, 7, do as you think is best. I am with you heart and soul, whatever you decide. Man, that is covenant. Yeah, this, it looks pretty hard, pretty impossible. There's really not a great option, but you know what? Whatever way you go, I got your back. I'm with you. I'm with you. The truth is you can't be a good friend to someone else until you know what that looks like. And you need to look for that in other people too. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. So Jonathan had a friend like this so he could also be a friend like that to David. He watched David go through some of the most horrific seasons and it never affected his covenant with David. David had real enemies like trying to kill him, including Jonathan's dad. Okay, talk about an awkward situation. He went through real grief. When you read, it, it seems very apparent that David probably struggled with some major mental problems, emotional problems. He needed some counseling. There were rumors and accusations, so much jealousy. Some of these issues were was splitting Jonathan's family. And it got pretty crazy. But Jonathan stayed there. 
But one day, Jonathan is killed in battle. So he's gone. Ten chapters later, we find David looking at Bathsheba. The rest of the story, he committed adultery and then committed murder to cover up that sin. Okay, so I think it's fair to say that maybe the reason why David wound up in that place is because he never replaced his Jonathan. I, I can almost guarantee you, if Jonathan was still alive, when that season came about, when David was supposed to be out with the rest of the kings doing battle, instead, he's hanging out at the castle by himself, idle, not doing anything, big setup for trouble. I promise you, if Jonathan had been around, Jonathan would have been like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's way more than you're not doing your job. You're not fulfilling your calling and purpose. This isn't just what it looks like in the natural. This is what it's doing in the spiritual and it's destroying you. Get up, get your armor on, go to war. I think if Jonathan had been around, that would have happened. But David never replaced Jonathan. And I think it was a setup. Now, we know that God worked through it, obviously. Solomon came out of it. But the point is, we all need friends like David and Jonathan. We need to have friends like that. By the way, some of you might need to find a few replacements if they don't look like what we're talking about. Close friends celebrate your victories. 1 Samuel 18, three through four, it says, and Jonathan made a covenant to David because he loved him as he loved himself. But Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Some of y'all think, well, cool. So David got an outfit out of the deal too. But it was way more than that because everything that Jonathan just gave David, all of those things represented that he was the king to be. That's what they represented. And he said, you know what? I'd rather promote God's will than promote myself. I'm way more into promoting my friend and celebrating his victory than I'm worried about me getting what I feel like I deserve, what's just for me. I think this is really similar to the same spirit that John the Baptist had towards Jesus. He said, I must decrease so that he can increase. The problem is we live in a world of self-promotion. Like it's, it's all, let's look out for number one. If we, we deviate at all, it's kind of like, you know what? You can do well, you know, as long as I'm doing just a little bit better. I'm fine with that. But imagine yourself being the kind of friend like that, like Jonathan to others, not hogging the ball, whether it's in business or at your home, in your family, with your friends. I think great friends are friends who are figuring out ways to promote their friends, to lift them up. Look, I have this, I'm so thankful for it. All the campus pastors, we all meet together almost every Tuesday. Pastor Rick, the executive pastors, and that whole meeting, look, I, there's just not an ounce of jealousy. There's not an ounce of competition in there. 
nobody's in there just trying to figure out how they can look like the best. We are all talking about how we can make each other better. We're all talking about how can we figure out a way to bring more glory to God. And we figured out the way that that happens best is when we're more interested in promoting each other than we're interested in promoting our own thing. And I find that there are a bunch of pastors and churches that are in our city and community that believe the same way. They are kingdom-minded guys. We are interested in promoting each other. We're not interested in tearing each other down. And I think that's incredibly important. I think it's incredibly important for you to hear. From time to time, I will meet people and they will make the grave mistake of trying to talk negatively about another church in this city and community around me. Maybe some of you have done that before and you regret it because you know it didn't go well. Because here's the deal. If someone comes to me and they say, hey, you pastor New Life Church, right? I'm like, yeah, I sure do. And they're like, oh man, I've heard a lot about that church. And I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, we've been thinking about going over there. Well, if you don't have a home church, we'd love to have you. Well, I have a home church, but let me tell you, I will stop them right there. I'm not gonna hear that nonsense. Look, we got a lot of different flavors of church around this city and community. And just because you get to a place where you're not digging the flavor anymore doesn't mean it's not one of God's flavors. He's still gonna use it. He's gonna use it in somebody's life. But here's what I would say more importantly. If you are in a place where you wanna be negative and you wanna be critical about the church you're in, please don't come to this church because you're just gonna bring that nonsense with you. And we don't need any of that around here. We're interested in building the kingdom of God. And I'm way more interested in promoting his church across the world, every body of believers, than I'm interested in promoting the name on the front of this church. And I think if we had more of that attitude and mindset, man, we would do, be doing a lot more for the kingdom of God. Instead of playing right into the enemy's plan, who's the accuser of the brethren. Stop partnering up with him with that nonsense. Sorry, I get a little fiery, a little salty about that. It's pretty important though. Close friends are watching out for you. You ever been in the neighborhood, neighborhoods that say neighborhood watch? All right, you ever been around those? Like you can find them, like, there's actually one on, on, on the way to Conway, if you go the back way, like on the back side of Valonia, there's this neighborhood, it's like right on the side of, of uh, 107 or 319, one of the highways. It's over by a barn, you know, uh, you get around the corner, and there's... <laughs> Landmarks might work better. Uh, there's this sign right on the side of the highway that says, Neighborhood Watch. I'm like, well, what y'all watching out for? Like, there's not a whole lot out here. But every time you see one of those, you realize, man, there is a group of people that have made the decision they're going to watch out for each other. They're going to watch out for each other. I'm sure if you went on vacation, you're going to be gone a couple weeks. You probably went to your neighbor. You probably have a neighbor. You went to him. You say, hey, I'm going to be gone for a while. I would really appreciate if you just keep a lookout for things. You may even trust him. I'm like, hey, you come in, water the plants, you know, take care of a couple things. You, you, you may have that. You may also have a neighbor that you would go and say, hey, it, it may look like I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks. But I'm in there. I'm home. And... And I'm there, and I'm probably cleaning my guns, all my guns, lots of them, and counting my bullets. So just want to let you know that. You may have that neighbor. Okay, well, I believe that you should pray that neighbor out of there, and so God will bring you a different neighbor because he'll do that for you. But you know what is infinitely more important than the question of who's looking after your stuff? It's who's looking after your soul. Because you need to have some neighbors and some friends that are keeping a close eye on your soul, a close eye on your attitude, your spirit, 
close eye on what you're posting because it's an indicator of where your heart's at. Watching your soul, keeping a close eye on it. Nothing is more powerful than knowing that someone is watching out for your soul and taking care of you. But it's even more than that. It's people that are committed to not just look after you, but your family. Like, we got your back, bro. Here's what I've noticed, though. I've been in full-time ministry for about 20 years. So I started when I was seven. I'm joking. But, uh, but in all my years of ministry, there's this trend right now. You know, typically when people are struggling or people uh, are, yeah, just struggling in life, they won't hesitate to call pastors. But I find that people are not doing that as much right now. They're not calling pastors. They're not calling leaders. In fact, there are a ton of people that won't even return a pastor's call. I've sent texts, made phone calls to people, no response. And I think the unfortunate thing is people that have separated themselves away from biblical community, away from the body of Christ, they're looking for people who are separated so that they can talk to each other about all the reasons why they're right to be separated. It's a dangerous place to be, I think. The Bible actually talks about that. Paul addressed a similar thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where there's these religious people who are causing all these issues and division in the body of Christ. And he says, we won't be like those who commend themselves that when comparing themselves in and of themselves, they're found without wisdom. In other words, you can find your own little vacuum tube of justification and negative talk about why all the reasons are that you are justified to be separated from the body of Christ, forsaking the gathering of the saints. You can do that, but it doesn't mean that it's wise, and it doesn't mean that it's God's plan. But I find that there are some people, they're in that place, and Satan is working over time to divide us from each other. I want to talk about the heart real quick. Because I've heard people say something like this, well, here's the deal, my heart's pure. I love the Lord. My heart's pure, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure why my relationships are not strong. My heart's pure. Okay, well, let's talk about what the Bible says about your heart. The Bible says that your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. A big issue is too many people are following their feelings, but they have walked away from truth and grace and love. They have abandoned the tree of life and have decided to build their home in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's not what God has for you. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. You know when the heart typically is the most deceived? What do you think the first lie that the heart tells? first lie I find so often that the heart tells is, I'm right. I'm right. Even when a bunch of people who have shown that they love me and have shown that they are trustworthy are telling me I'm wrong, I'm still right. Because I watched a video. 
Can you see how the enemy can work through that? So in John 17, 20, this is right after Jesus was dealing with the disciples, fighting over who was gonna be the best, the greatest. They did that a lot. And so Jesus was praying for the disciples and he goes on in verse 20, says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just for the disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, they, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, it's the unity in the body of Christ that proves to the world Jesus is real. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In them, I and in, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Hmm. The world desperately needs to be loved like we've been loved by Jesus. And I think unfortunately, there's just such a major distraction. Not, all, not everyone, not the whole church, but the, a, a good portion of the church, um, that we, they stink at loving the world right now because they forgot how to love the body of Christ. They've stopped loving his bride. So in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives a parable. A lot of us are familiar with the lost sheep. And I won't read it for time's sake, but you know the story. There's 100 sheep, one sheep wanders off. The shepherd leaves 99 to go after the one, to go find the one so that the one can be restored. So there's really three different characters in this story. Okay, three different groups, if you will. The 99, okay, so you could say those are the fully committed. Those are the committed, okay. And then you have the one that says, let's, yeah, we're all committed, but it, somebody's missing. Somebody's missing, so somebody needs to go look for him. Look, I love having committed people around this church, but I want committed people around this church that also notice when somebody who used to be committed isn't here anymore and goes and gets them. And I want to let you know that I'm doing, and our staff and our pastors, we're doing the best we can, but we could use some help of people looking up, looking around, saying, hey, there's some people that used to be here that aren't here. We need to find out where they are and see if they're willing to be restored. Because that word willing, though, is important. Because the fact of the matter is, a sheep can't be restored unless the sheep's willing. I, 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 the, the sheep was found by the shepherd. So if their sheep just decided, maybe we're just going to keep on running, we're going to keep on going, then we just have to trust the Holy Spirit to help us to continue to love them, reach out to them as much as we can, but let the Lord do what he has to do, and hopefully they can be restored. But there are some that are lost, that are willing and need to be restored. So who are you? Are you the committed but the comfortable are you a shepherd who's seeking to restore? Or are you increasingly separating yourself? And before long, you're gonna be lost. I think it's important to be honest about it. Because I believe 
this is going to be a year of restoration. But I believe it's going to happen by people being intentional and making the decision to be connected, to relate to others as the body of Christ. Thus saith the Lord. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Maybe you haven't drifted away from the church, but maybe you are away from Jesus, away from the Lord. Maybe you have no relationship with him right now. Maybe you feel like you did at one point or another, but if you are completely honest, right now, sitting in that chair, you have no peace. You have no peace about where you stand in relation to God, in relation to his love for you, but also in relation to eternity. You desperately want to go to heaven, but you have no confidence that you've actually surrendered your life to Jesus so that you can have the hope of heaven. Yes, but there's so much more than that. There's a life and there's a purpose. There's a connection to the body of Christ that he wants you to have, but it starts with you making the choice of surrendering completely and totally to him. So if you're in this place and you've never done that, you've never called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you feel like you did at one point, but maybe just over the years, situation or circumstance, maybe just distraction, you've drifted away from him and right now you feel distant from your heavenly father. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to give you an opportunity to ask for forgiveness to stop, to turn away from where you've been, to turn towards him, to surrender to him. And I'm just asking all the Christians to be praying because there's somebody around you that may be making this decision for the first time. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is not gonna be the thing that gets you saved. It's gonna be the position of your heart. But what I'm gonna ask you to do is just giving you a chance to apply your faith in action, to admit it, to admit your weakness, so that God's power can be made perfect right now, right there in your chair, right where you're sitting. If you know you need Jesus and you're away from him, no one's looking around and I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I wanna pray with you. I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough. Would you put your hand up right now? I need Jesus, I'm away from him. I need him. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got you guys. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. I'm away from him. Yes, ma'am. I don't, I don't. I haven't truly surrendered to him. Got you, babe. Anyone else? I'm just away from him. I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Yes, sir. God's gonna honor that. Like I said, it, every person that's already raised their hand, you're probably understanding why I asked you to do that. Because as soon as your physical will gets involved with your faith, man, it just releases something inside of you. Is there anyone else? I know I need him. I need to surrender to him. Okay. All right. Father, I thank you for every one of those people that raised their hand. I would encourage you, you need to be bold about this faith. I'd encourage you to tell somebody as soon as this service is over. In fact, we're gonna have water baptism today. Water baptism, that's a public declaration of, of people's faith. They are already saved. They've already made that decision in their heart. They just want everyone to know they're gonna be committed and in covenant with Jesus for the rest of their life. And I'd encourage you, if you're making this decision right now, you can get baptized right after this service. We got everything you need. You don't even have to go home. We got clothes. We got everything you need. 
But right there in your chair, we're going to be gut-level honest with our Heavenly Father. And just say this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you came and you died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. And right now, I repent. I repent of my sin. I stop. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. Would you be the Lord of my life? I give you control. I thank you that you overcame sin. You overcame death itself so that I can have the hope of heaven, so that I'm not a slave to my sin, past, present, or future. I'm submitted to you. But Lord, I want to fulfill my purpose while I'm waiting on you. So help me grow in that. Help me have a greater understanding of your love, your word. I want to live by the standard of your word without compromise. Help me to be connected to a body of believers where I can grow and be challenged and be encouraged. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for loving me, for accepting me. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, I thank you for everyone that made that prayer, made that decision. Help us as a church to come alongside them and disciple them and help them become fully devoted followers after your heart for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.